Hello, and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I'm your host, Ariel Frame. And I'm your co-host, Francesco Colosimo. And today we have a very special guest, a student who works very closely with me in the same lab as me. So I'm glad to introduce Sandra Grohovic nemeth Hi, Sandra. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me on today. Hi. Um, uh, so, Sandra, you are a master's student in the biology program, and you're almost a year in, I want to say. Actually, I've uh, started my second year already. There you go. So, second year. Um, but you have done a little bit, a little bit of work towards your thesis so far. So, why don't you just give us an overview to start of what are you working on? Okay, well, I study um, Alzheimer's disease in a mouse model of it. And what I'm doing is I'm looking at lactate and other related metabolites um, and see how they change over time, so with age, and how they may change throughout the brain as well. And I'm using this newer technique called MALDI-IMS. So MALDI stands for, in long term, if you will, um, matrix-assisted laser desorption ionization time of flight, imaging mass spectrometry, okay? So what that really means is um, we take a laser and we shoot it at some sample that has a special substance, what we call a matrix on it. Um, that substance or the matrix absorbs the laser energy and it transfers energy to your um, molecules that you would like to look at in the tissue. They ionize, so they have a charge, they fly through a tube and a calculation is done given um, how, how far they travel, how quickly they travel, um, how heavy the molecule is to give it kind of like a unique identification. And then the mass spec and the software that, that goes with it will kind of translate all that information and give me a graph uh, that shows me how much is there of which type of molecule. And it'll also show me a picture, a visual of how it's distributed um, as a heat map. So I'm a very visual person, so I think this is really cool that I can get some visuals. And then what I like to do is take a snapshot and see um, our levels changing um, at six months of age, 12 months of age, and 18 months of age in these mice brains. And what other impact might lactate have on other related metabolites, if you will. And for me, it makes sense because the brain gets most of its energy from glucose and lactate is an intermediary or a byproduct of glucose metabolism. So it makes sense that we kind of go down this path of study and see what's happening. Um, I haven't seen too many papers out there that have looked at lactate with this IMS technique. I've seen it used with um, mouse brain and um, diabetes, diabetes related. So fasting and non-fasted brains. And I've seen it in heart tissue um, but again, it's very novel. I haven't seen too many papers out there specifically looking at lactate. So I'm really excited to see what happens. Yeah, there, that's, uh, that's really interesting. There's a, definitely a lot to unpack there. And um, love that you're using lasers. I think we all love lasers. Um, but you, you, you mentioned uh, a lot about lactate and, um, you know, and how it's not really studied a lot and, or you haven't seen it being studied a lot. So why have you chosen to examine lactate and, you know, maybe what are some of the role, like what role does it have in the body typically and, and why have you chosen to look at it? 
That's actually a really good question. Um, there was a former student by the name of Richard Harris, as well as fellow students such as Ariel and others who um, had a previous project where they looked at lactate levels um, through MRI, so magnetic resonance imaging. Um, and they found that, as well as some dialysis of some fluid from the brain, et cetera, and they found that lactate with normal aging decreases, but like in, in transgenic mice, so that, are, that have the gene for this disease, it's actually accumulating. It's doing something different. It might be having, there might be some harm because of its presence. Um, so this was this work was kind of the uh, that led to the idea for my project, and so as they dived into this, they found that lactate really plays a role in memory and memory acquisition. Um, there's also work out there that shows that um, the the cells of the brain um, manufacture it differently and use it differently. It's very cell type specific, so there's certain kind of like helper cells, if you call them, called astrocytes that'll produce the lactate and they'll produce it for your neurons. Your neurons are your main cells in your brain that do all the work. Um, so they, when they need the energy, they'll grab the lactate from the astrocytes rather than making it all themselves. Um, so there's studies out there that show when um, lactate is interrupted and it's not allowed to enter into the neurons, um, you have to inject some exogenous lactate to improve the memory. However, if um, you block it completely from the neurons, um, memory doesn't improve whatsoever without its assistance. So there's a growing body of information just to show that lactate is its much more important. Like we were traditionally taught in high school and in science class that when glucose is metabolized or broken down, it's broken down from glucose into pyruvate. And then from there, you know, if there is enough oxygen, it enters something called the TCA cycle to make a whole bunch of ATP that fuels all your cells. If there's not enough oxygen, then it gets converted into lactate. So lactate was kind of seen as like a waste product or just some indicator that some, you know, not enough uh, oxygen to a tissue. So it's kind of, it was like an undesirable molecule, if you, if you will. And it was actually because of uh, research in cancer, they found that cancer cells were actually producing lactate even when there was enough oxygen. So again, it's just becoming a much more important molecule than anyone ever thought, you know, way back when. So I find it really, really ironic, really amusing, actually, and very interesting. So hope that's clear enough. <laughs> um, I think I think uh, I think you've highlighted uh, well that uh, there's a lot of nuance when it comes to understanding uh, lactate's role. Is it bad? Is it good? Um, kind of difficult to say, and we need work like yours to to determine what's going on. Can you maybe tell us a little bit more about um, this model of Alzheimer's disease? How does one do that in a mouse? Well, that's a good question as well. Um, we actually use a transgene, if you will, and it's made up of two genes combined that have something wrong with them or what we call mutations in them. Um, Alzheimer's is known or one of the characteristics that's visually seen in an Alzheimer's patient is that we get this buildup of a protein in the brain called amyloid. And so um, this gene or this transgene includes a mutation in that protein. And it also includes a second mutation in these proteins that cut up the first one, if you will. 
So if the, if the mechanics of it, if there's something wrong with the mechanics of it and how this original or this first gene is cut up, then it kind of produces these different lengths of varying protein that's known to be toxic and they accumulate in the brain. And so this transgene is incorporated into a mouse. Um, and excuse me if I don't have the correct terminology, I think gametes or eggs, if you will. Um, and they're checked to see if the genes are incorporated. And if they are, then we further breed them and we test them. And it's a really cool model to use because these mice with a transgene will actually develop amyloid by six months of age. And this doesn't naturally happen in mice. And then by nine months, they actually do have cognitive deficits, memory issues that we can actually test with behavioral studies. So rather than working directly with humans, of course, this is a much safer, much better model to work with uh, to try to figure things out before we move with new therapies, et cetera, into humans. Yeah, so um, I guess from a, a non-science uh, POV, I guess, um, just for, for our understanding, I guess these mouses uh, or mice, sorry, are given a gene basically given a gene mutation that will allow them or that will lead them to get Alzheimer's. Is that correct? And then you study um, kind of what's going on after they have Alzheimer's, I guess. Yeah, they're actually human genes or fragments of human genes that are incorporated into their, the, the mouse genome or right. their DNA. Oh, in, very, this is a pretty interesting model. <laughs> um, it has these multiple genes from, from humans and uh it's pretty clear that it has at least um behaves somewhat similarly to people with alzheimer's so i think that there's a lot to be learned from this model um can you maybe tell us what got you interested in this type of work how did you uh how'd you get put with this project it's ironic actually because um for my fourth year uh, thesis, I actually was trying to figure out what to write about, what would I would like, what would I want to invest that, that much time about reading about, etc, to write that something about, and it was um, basically the genetic theories of aging in humans, so aging in that whole area was of huge interest to me. Um, after I obtained my undergraduate degree, I thought I would kind of leave academia, but I went into a research lab trying to um, feel out if, you know, graduate work would be something for me down the road. And I ended up actually working with the lab that actually did research in Alzheimer's disease. So it was very ironic. At the time, I didn't realize the opportunity that I'd been given, you know, the people that I worked with, and now everything's kind of come full circle. I'm now actually back researching Alzheimer's. And again, it's something near and dear to my heart because, you know, we all go through life we can control what we eat, we control our exercise, but we can't control what happens to our brains. I don't wanna lose all those memories and experience I've had of people I've met along the way, experiences that I've had. So it's really important, uh, something that I'd like to kind of help in the fight against, if you will, uh, this, this deterioration of our brains. Yeah, it's, uh, I totally agree. It's, um, you know, it's one thing to, you know, grow old, I guess, and, and have some physical um, ailments, but it's, it's a whole different beast when, when your mind goes, in my opinion, and it's, um, it's obviously a complex issue, and it, it's requiring more attention, um, and 
and I guess speaking on that, I was wondering more about, um, you know, Alzheimer's in, in humans and in today's society and, and what are, what are the trends like? Like, are, are we, are we seeing, you know, more cases of, of, you know, old age kind of onset conditions like this or, or what's happening with that? Um, again, that's a really good question. Um, right now, there is no cure or effective preventative therapy for Alzheimer's disease. And age is the strongest risk factor for the disease, of course. And um, it's expected, actually, um, that numbers are supposed to triple by 2050 um, if we kind of go down the same path with no cure, etc. Like, for example, there's about 5 million people in the U.S. alone living with the disease. And again, it's supposed to triple by 2050. And it's just being, we're going to be exacerbated because um, due to our aging population, the baby boom population, they're all reaching that age. Um, so again, it's going to have a huge impact on our healthcare system, on families, et cetera, relationships that have to care for these people. So I think it really is an area of importance for sure. Um, I know that I'm, <laughs> I'm quite intrigued uh, by the study of Alzheimer's. And uh, I agree with you, Francesco, that this is kind of one of the scariest things that can happen. I think uh, if you lose your mind, um, kind of kind of drives a lot of my passion as well for mm -hmm. uh, for neurodegenerative disease research. Um, so you've come into this program with a previous interest in Alzheimer's, and then now you're taking it up again. Um, can you tell us uh, what was your journey to get here? Uh, where, where were you previously working before you began your master's here? It was definitely a different one, for sure. Um, like I said, after I obtained my undergraduate degree, I worked in the lab, that research lab, for about a year and a half. And at that time, I thought, okay, uh, right now, that isn't for me. So I actually um, was trying to figure out how do you complement all this theoretical education, your scientific background, and make yourself more marketable. So so I actually enrolled in some business courses at Laurier and Waterloo to try to complement that theory, et cetera. I thought I would want to get out in business somehow, not sure how at the time. And while I was taking those courses, I happened to meet um, a gentleman from a tech company, a local tech company. Um, they actually worked with software in the telecommunications industry. And um, they opened, or they had a position opening up. So basically it was a case of right place at the right time and being open to an opportunity being presented to you, right? So it was a kind of like a starter position um, as an installation coordinator, but it led me into project management. So I got some project management under my belt, that experience, and I found that I was really missing the science piece. So um, the company kind of changed, they, they got bought out, they um, moved locations. So I thought I took it as an opportunity to kind of move on and went looking for another job. And again, something that I could basically combine the project management with the science. So I found myself in a company in the pharmaceutical industry. They were um, a contract company that did all the safety testing for all your clinical trials. And so again, that furthered my experience and um, opportunity in project management and combined it with all the um, science. So I got to see all the kind of new drugs that were coming out um, that were being tested on people um, and, and what they were all about, the science, the kind of science behind it. And so again, the, the theme of the project management 
kind of stayed with me, moved to a, a tech company from there as well. And um, took some time from that point. I actually have a family. I have a couple of kids. So I'm basically juggling definitely other items as opposed to just my schoolwork and myself. And then I just found that um, there was an opportunity to go back as a second career. I wanted to, I, for a few years, I stepped back. Um, being a project manager was a lot of responsibility. Um, you know, your, your hours were not nine to five. So I stepped back from there. And then once I found that I was interested to go back into the work field or workforce, I found I needed to upgrade. So this was an opportunity to kind of reassess and can figure out where I, where I really wanted to go, what I really wanted to do. And so the opportunity there was there, the timing was there. There was some personal items that fell into place and I researched back, you know, going back into school academia and it just kind of opened up. I didn't think it was possible um, because I had, because I had been out for a few years, uh, some of the you know professors I knew, some of the professors I used to work with, I really didn't know if they had retired already or if they'd be around as references. And I really needed them as references. And you know, lucky, lucky, lucky. I don't know if it was meant to be. I was able to hunt these people down. You know, they still remembered me after all this time. I was able to grab them as references. The marks were there to allow me entry, and it just all worked out like it was just the right or the perfect storm to make it all happen again. It was awesome. So I'm taking advantage of it. It's the second chance, the second career for me. Totally enjoying it and looking at it in a different way than I would have had I continued right out of my undergraduate degree. Yeah, that's uh, that's such a cool story, and. Um... I, I was chuckling to myself about getting the references because um, I, I think all, all of us grad students have been through that and it's, it's hard <laughs> when you know them and you don't have to go back after a number of years. Um, and I think one of the things that really grabbed my attention is during your industry experience, um, you worked some kind of role in pharma and you felt you know that was an opportunity to combine science and business. Um, and, and I've heard, a, a, you know, a few testimonials about that. And, um, and just from, from my interest, I was wondering if, you know, during your experience there, if you came across any promising treatments or, or anything cool science-wise where you're like, oh, that, that, you know, maybe in the future, this can make a difference. Yeah, there were some interesting items. Um, it, it depended on the different projects you worked on. Um, the main one for us was cholesterol-related. Um, there was actually one that tested um, um, asthma in children. Why didn't you I tell me? I have, I have high cholesterol and asthma. Yeah. <laughs> All this time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it was neat because, um, you know, the, the different logistics, like to be aware of, like you can't, for example, test one drug in one country. You got to go worldwide. It could be impactful culturally on race, etc. Um, it was just so eye opening. Like it was such a great experience, even logistically. Like how do you manage um, shipment of product? How do you manage, you know, for example, we'd be sending out um, how-to manuals, collection kits for, you know, blood and stool, etc. How do you get that to Brazil or China, etc.? So it was a really eye-opening, like a huge eye-opening experience um, on how things worked out in the real world. And all of the actual little things you had to consider even to test and ensure that something was safe. How did they run, how did they organize themselves to capture the fact 
um, that all this data was coming through, all of the safety procedures that had to be in place. Um, you know, we as students got away with, you know, kind of not doing this or not doing that. But being in that industry, you really had to cross your T's, dot your I's, and make sure you were exactly doing per procedure what was required. His, you know, you had to track history, why changes were made, documentation and versioning was like really, really important. So a huge <laughs> eye-opening experience um, just going through that. It was really neat. I feel very, very grateful for kind of having gone through that. And all the regulatory is just phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's amazing that you, um, you know, got all that experience, got inspired throughout the years, and then you managed to leverage that experience to started start a second career and uh, and do what you're doing now um if there are if there's anyone else who might know someone or they themselves are in a similar position to you were before you entered uh your master's um do you have any advice for someone in that position i would say the big thing is don't get down like i know that everyone comes into school or university with a goal. I know, you know, being in sciences, health sciences, you know, a lot of people want to go into med school. Um, and I was always told have a plan B. Um, I would just like to say, don't get down if your primary pathway, your primary target doesn't work out right away. Um, you know, maybe you're going to get to the same place, but in a different way, but it's all there to improve you and make you a better student, a better person. So if there's something that you really want, then find an alternate strategy to get there. It's not a bad thing. It's just going to make you richer for the experience, I think, as a whole. So, yeah, you know, we want to get there immediately. And it's so it's so hard. It's easy to get down on yourself, but don't like and just keep your eyes open for every possible opportunity that comes your way because it's coming your way for a reason. It really, really is. I'm a believer of that. That is uh, certainly inspiring. Uh, hopefully, some people can take that advice to heart. I mean, I I, I think I agree with you uh, that you know um, your your route may be circuit, circuitous. You may have a difficult route. You may have a different route than the than some of those you see around you. Um, but you know, if you're passionate about something, you should follow it. And if you have to go through other doors um, that are open for you, then you should take them. So. Um, that's that's really sage advice um uh you know that's kind of looking back at how you've sort of succeeded to get to where you are you're at now uh, maybe we can do the opposite and look a little bit forward so uh you said you're in your second year and i think that mm. your program is two years right is that right yes it is so um you know what plans do you have after you're done your master's um, because I've kind of been out industry already, I know coming back that I would actually like to continue on in, into my PhD. I'm pretty sure that um, why I'm here, um, I've, I've, you know, joined on with the lab. I've gotten involved with work that I'm very passionate about, very interested in. So I'm actually very excited to continue with. I'd like to see, you know, the data that comes out of this. I've already got some ideas depending on what might happen on how to proceed. So. Uh, there's no question or doubt at this time. I would like to continue on with my PhD. So the, so the academia life is for you. Yes. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, no, what, what really interest, interested me about 
some of the what you spoke about in your your pharma experience is um you know the cultural um differences in in you know maybe the treatment or the incidences of certain conditions or illnesses so um you know to take that back uh, to alzheimer's which is you know uh, obviously age onset and um and there are various countries who are aging or, or have higher you know older population um are you aware of any cultural differences in in alzheimer's and or the treatment in alzheimer's um at this time the only one i'm aware of potentially is like gender differences um culturally or race-wise not at this time but that would be of interest to me actually um i didn't partake in any alzheimer's related research when i was in pharma it was more like um cholesterol heart related asthma etc but that's something in my kind of in the back of my mind that i would definitely be paying attention to i guess if we're uh you know to follow up on Alzheimer's, um, your study is very focused on, you know, metabolites and, you know, like you said, glucose and lactate and other metabolites. Um, that makes me think that maybe it has something to do with our, the metabolism that most people talk about, which is just when they're eating and how they, how their fuel works mm -hmm. in that way. Do you have any idea whether, um, diet has an influence on Alzheimer's in general or, or in your model? I believe it does, but I don't know specifically because it's not an area that I've delved into too much detail quite yet. I'm still at the cellular level, if you would say, rather than uh, organism as a whole. So sorry, I can't answer that question too in depth. That's okay. Um, uh, I'm wondering I think uh, Alzheimer's is prevalent enough that most people have come in contact with someone <laughs> who has Alzheimer's yeah. or knows someone who has Alzheimer's. Do you have any experience with anyone with Alzheimer's or a family member? Um, I do. It would be my, my grandmother. It was very interesting because my grandmother on my maternal side was already suffering from dementia, but physically she was quite fit. Uh, she was still doing her regular chores, etc. Meanwhile, my grandmother on my paternal side, um, you know, sharp as a whip, watching the news, reading the papers. You know, she lived past 100 years old, but physically she was limited. So for me, it was through the grandparents. Um, and I haven't seen, we haven't been in too much contact with too many more relatives to know if it was genetically related or not. Um, I just personally know that through all the experiences I've had and the people I've met, it would be scary to kind of undergo that. So if I can help out in any way through the research I do, um, I definitely like to avoid it if possible, personally. Absolutely. And, um, you know, Ariel mentioned as well as you, Sandra, that there could be, you know, you don't know, but there could be a, a diet component to all of this. Um, and if I'm taking this idea more broadly, and, you know, it doesn't specifically relate to your research, but um, are there any, you know, lifestyle type of habits, I guess, um, that, that kind of have a correlation Alzheimer's at all, or, you know, things that, you know, on a general level, individuals can do to, you know, decrease their chances at all? 
Well, I've heard the typical news and information out there, you know, a balance of a good diet, exercise, decrease your stress. I mean, that's all relevant. Um, so I would probably promote that as well. But at this time, I don't know enough myself, I would say to speak as an expert. Okay, well, Sandra, we're just about out of time. So I just want to thank you for coming on and, you know, uh, telling us your inspiring story of how you got here and, uh, and, and uh, sharing your passion for your work that you clearly have. Thank you for coming on. Thank you very much, everyone. This has been Gradcast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Ariel Frame. My co-host was Francesco Colosimo. We've been speaking with Sandra Grohovic nemeth and today's episode will be produced by me. If you'd like to be involved with the show, get in contact with us, email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can follow us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Gradcast Radio to listen to more episodes. Uh, we have all our episodes archived on our website, gradcast.ca. And you can also find us on all podcast apps. Um, on the radio, we air weekly at radio, on Radio Western, 94.9 FM here in London, Ontario. And select episodes also have a video version available on YouTube at Gradcast Radio. Thank you for listening. Have a good night.